You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, the podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everybody. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. We are on episode number 24. Yeah. So this week we've got a little bit of comparison and a little bit of insight into different ways of traveling. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But I'm really looking forward to hearing some of your different ideas and some of your experiences as well. Yeah, ditto. I I have a lot of opinions. When we talked about doing this episode, I didn't think I had a lot to say, but over the week, since I was thinking about it, I've been like, I do have a lot of opinions on this, so I'm excited (laughs) to hear what you have to say, too. So we're going to talk about traveling in different combinations of people, basically. Yeah. Also, I want to apologize. There's construction here in China, somewhere in my building. So if it's very loud, sorry. (laughs) There's always construction in China. Yeah, that's true. It's amazing. (laughs) So um, first we're going to hear from a friend of Rachel's who traveled solo. Was it for four months that she traveled solo? She was by herself for four months, yeah. And then we're going to talk about traveling in groups and in, in pairs And then we have some advice on what to look for when you're scouting out a travel buddy. Yeah. So first we've got our language news. Yeah, language news. So this week we read a little bit about the role that Google Translate played in the World Cup and have some takeaways about the future of Translate apps and things like that. Yeah, translation, the future of translation. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, mm-hmm. but the New York Times released this article about in Russia during the World Cup. All of these people are in Russia from all over the world, and they started using Google Translate to navigate. I mean, it kind of just gave you a glimpse into the future when knowing a language is no longer going to be a prerequisite for understanding. Exactly. And while we know that these apps are not perfect, they're so useful. If you're in that situation, it's so much better than nothing. Mm -hmm. So it talked about different interactions that could be made easier by using Google Translate. So things like reading a menu, asking for directions, or getting a haircut. Yeah, if you don't know, Google Translate actually has a really cool feature. And there are other apps that have this same feature where you point your camera at something and the translation pops up into Mm -hmm. English or into your language. So it's I use that actually a lot in China with restaurant menus. Oh, okay. It's like this amazing new feature that has just come out in the past few years, but I think it's life-changing for a lot of people probably, especially when you don't recognize the letters or the characters in a language. Yeah, definitely. Even we used it a lot in Germany, mostly for menus, I guess. Yeah. Because otherwise sometimes it just took a really long time to like translate each item on the menu oh yeah i'm sure to see if there was anything vegetarian if we could eat there so we'd be standing outside a restaurant and be like let's see (laughs) rachel just made a really great face (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah and of course this is just the beginning i mean earbuds are, are here it's not exactly real time and it's not perfect but you can buy earbuds that i believe it comes with an app that you connect to your phone so somebody talks into your phone and then it's translated and it goes into your ears so it's very similar Mm -hmm. but eventually we won't need the app anymore and it'll just be people talking back and forth with a little translation bud in their ear. Definitely. And I think Google Translate has 
a feature too so that you can talk into it and yeah it translates google translate has that there are a bunch of apps that have that here in china too mm-hmm. and i think iphone apple has its own thing too you hold down like a button i don't need it's probably not called a button but that's the word i've got for it <laughs> you hold down a button while you're speaking on the phone and then you release it when you're done speaking and then the recording is translated and then you can instantaneously provide the language that you want i've done this before like i think i've talked about it on the show before like yeah i think so yeah like being in a store and you're able to have a conversation yeah exactly it's not it's still like Major caveat, guys, from the language nerds, it's nothing like being able to actually communicate with somebody in their right. native tongue. But it is really helpful when that's all you've got. Exactly. And it lowers the barrier to travel, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody can speak all the languages, so... We can try. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in some country where you don't speak the language, then it's really useful. Yeah, well, nice article. We'll be posting that on the website. Well, let's launch into this interview that Rachel did with her friend Jane. It's really cool. She she traveled solo for four months by herself and then for another four months with her boyfriend. So it was a total of eight months. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll let Jane tell us about herself. Hi, I'm Jane. I'm 27 years old. I'm living in Madrid, but I'm from England and I moved here two and a half years ago and now I'm living with my boyfriend who is also Spanish who's the reason I moved here. So the first thing that I asked her was what was her motivation for traveling by herself? I'd always wanted to go actually since I was in school Mm -hmm. and three of my friends went to Southeast Asia for I guess four or five months and I went out to visit them for a holiday for a couple of weeks one year and I like fell in love with the whole lifestyle and this whole idea of just being quite immersed in a new culture and meeting so many new people from all over the world and I really really didn't want to come home (laughs) from that holiday so I was like right one day I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and eventually it got to a point in my job my company was kind of going under the company I was working for and I was made redundant so I was like right this is this is the time I'm gonna go didn't have enough money at that point so I had to work a little bit more and yeah then eventually I saved up enough money and I went by myself there was nobody sort of in my circle of friends that was in the position to be able to come with me Mm -hmm. in terms of money or job or a lot of them were still at university So I was like, well, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go by myself. I don't know if I could travel solo. I admire her for doing it, and I think everybody should try it. I married my travel buddy, and I love having a travel buddy that I get along really well with. Yeah, for sure. So then I wanted to know how this experience traveling by herself was different from other ways that she's traveled both have pros and cons I think when you're by yourself you obviously only have yourself to please so you can decide you know exactly what you're doing how you're doing it when you're doing it etc however at times I suppose there were moments where I was a bit like oh I wish there was somebody here to to share this with somebody I was close with Mm -hmm. because obviously you meet a lot of people all the time so much so you get to a point where you're like oh god I just I need to be alone for a little while and you it was quite hard to sort of get really really close to someone because Uh everybody's coming and going all the time um you finally meet someone you connect with and you find out they're going in a different direction to you and I mean traveling with my partner who I met traveling that was very exciting because obviously we met there we met in Malaysia and I think about four or five months after we met we were still we were still traveling and we did meet a few more people and it's interesting how the dynamic changes when you're like traveling with a in a couple I would say I'd say people are less likely to come up to you and sort of introduce themselves and see if you want to have a drink and stuff because they think you're just you're like you know you're with your partner and that's that (laughs) exactly and so you're alone three months three or four four yeah and how do you go about meeting people 
I'd say the primary way was just from sort of common areas and hostels. Mm-hmm. You just get chatting, really. Just sort of say, hi, how's it going? Where have you come from? I always said there was a list of about five questions everybody would ask any new person. And by the end, I just wanted to like stick a post-it note on my head with, <sighs> with the answers because I was so sick of answering the questions. But at the beginning, it's it's what you do. Like obviously you have to, you've got to find out what, what everyone's doing. So where are you from? How long have you been traveling? How long will you be traveling? Where have you come from and where are you going? Just to sort of find out the route. Because um, obviously in Asia, in Southeast Asia, there was a kind of set route that a lot of people did in one direction around a few countries or the other direction. Another thing Rachel asked was what kind of challenges she faced while she was traveling and what was good about it and what she liked about it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like traveling alone is actually a skill in itself, you know? Yeah, definitely. I guess the actual traveling part of traveling, the part where you're, you know, traveling on a bus for like 24 hours or... I don't know, going on a boat somewhere or you're getting in a taxi and you never quite know if you're doing the right thing, you're doing it the right way. Right. And not having somebody else around to sort of check that with or compare prices and things like with that person, I think that's that was kind of annoying because I never really knew if I was being ripped off. And also, I mean, getting on a bus alone for... 20 or 30 hours one one was like 32 hours I think I was traveling on a bus filled with other locals you're just praying that you're going in the right way and that you're going to get to the place you said you wanted to go because on the ticket they just write down everything in obviously the local language so you can present it to the driver but you know it's quite there's quite a lot of unknown and not having like another person I, I suppose to reassure you Okay. Is, is probably was a little bit of a challenge, yeah. And on the other hand, what did you find like uniquely good or uniquely like beneficial about being by yourself? I would guess probably what I said earlier in terms of like the freedom of doing whatever you wanted whenever you wanted. I personally think traveling with somebody is the way to find out the most about a person. And I think there's only certain people of my friends that I could actually travel with because you see people at their worst so I suppose not having that at the beginning helped me to meet people from all over the world if somebody said to me hey we're gonna go like here for a couple of days do you want to come with I was like yeah sure I didn't have to make sure it was okay with the other person and right yeah like you were more free to be like spontaneous yeah which is what I really wanted to do it was my trip of my lifetime I think really so I don't like I don't think I'll ever do anything like that again so I really just sort of wanted to do everything and anything so I wanted to know in what ways she felt that it had enriched her I mean this is quite a cliche answer I suppose but it genuinely did like open my eyes to so many different ways of living obviously I'd I'd been on holiday with my parents and things when I was younger, when I was a teenager, but they were quite often like in hotels or they were, my dad's really into diving. So they were quite often like diving holidays, maybe, I don't know, like an all-inclusive package or something, but actually being able to just travel on my own and kind of get in with the locals as much as I could, like eating where they ate and traveling how they traveled like on the tuk-tuks and stuff in, yeah. in Thailand and on, on like boats, you know, down rivers and things like that. It just opened my eyes to things that I would never have seen if I'd stayed in my hometown. And ultimately, it led me here because that's obviously yeah, where I met uh, Javi, so which is the reason I moved here. I don't know. I think I have an appreciation for people from all over the world now a question that you asked that I thought was really good was how other people reacted to her traveling by herself especially for women it's a lot different I think people get really nervous about women traveling yes definitely which is not an invalid concern my mom yeah (laughs) yeah my mom freaked out honestly she was she I don't think she realized I wanted to go for so long well I planned six months and ended up being a bit more I mean, yeah, I'm her baby. Like, they weren't worried that I would have a good time. Like, they knew that. I think they knew I was going to have the time in my life. Just obviously a girl traveling alone. You hear stories, you know, things happen. So, yes, she was definitely the one who um, was the most skeptical. But she never said, don't do it. Could you reassure her anyway or, like, 
how did you deal with that situation promising to call a lot <laughs> uh promising to keep in contact and thankfully I mean she saved my ass a lot of times because I lost <laughs> a lot of things when I was traveling I'm not the very I'm not the most careful of people okay and I lost a few phones and my debit card and my credit card so she had to send me a new one and you know I had days like on the phone with my bank when the connection was horrible and you know I was like in Cambodia trying to make a phone call in this little shop <laughs> to my bank <laughs> and it just you know just horrible connections and stuff so she was the one to fix it all well that leads well into the next question so how did how did she feel being Mm -hmm. a woman by yourself you 100% have got to use your common sense if I was in London or if I was in Madrid or if I was I don't know in another big city I probably I would apply the same rules do you know what I mean as I did when I was traveling but traveling obviously a little bit more because there are a lot of people just out to scam tourists and also rob you Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the mobile phones I lost in fact was stolen by a child in Cambodia on the beach I mean, yeah, that was stupid. I, I, I put my, my bag down to my left and I, I think I just looked to my right for about 30 seconds and I turned around and my bag was gone. So that was not common sense. But in those cases, I would say if you know you're going to be alone in a place where you don't feel that secure, just reach out to people in your hostel or like from wherever you're staying and try to hang out with a group for the night or something, you know, like a group of fellow travelers no one is really ever gonna say no like okay yeah you know so yeah and finally I asked if she had any advice for anyone thinking about taking a solo trip Mm -hmm. do it (laughs) that is yes just go like you will not regret it at all um I met you know a lot of people from all over the world and although I probably haven't talked to them since I went traveling. I know I could like call on them if I wanted some help with something or if I was going to go to that country to visit, I would be able to stay with them. Like it's like I was saying earlier, you know, you see people from all angles when you're traveling and you do really get to know people. Um, So the friends I made, you know, I think they're really like friends I will have for a long time. Bring a bit of extra money if you can a little bit more than you think you need like just for emergencies mm. try to say yes to to as many things as as possible i think the fear of going in the first place is probably the biggest fear someone will have so once you're there mm-hmm. like don't be scared of trying something new like i don't know going on that bike trip to somewhere like jumping off a cliff in a in a beach I don't know like different things obviously depending on way where you're going that's some good advice for sure yeah I loved her advice do you think you would do a solo trip I never really thought about doing one but I'm I think it would be cool Mm -hmm. I had never thought of it I guess yeah it's becoming more common for people to do it I've met a lot of people traveling solo when Seth and I are traveling we try to not be closed off like she was saying in a couple Mm -hmm. like try to be open to new people and experiences but it I can definitely tell that people who are alone are just more approachable so for sure yeah it sounds like it would be a really interesting experience yeah and not everyone has the capability of traveling for eight months that's amazing mm-hmm. yeah but people have jobs responsibilities maybe they don't have as much security financial mm-hmm. stability Right. Like that. that is a really long time but I mean and I probably wouldn't be able to do that much but to travel for a week or two alone at least would be really cool I think yeah and while I haven't traveled alone I have traveled by myself in between for example like I traveled in Europe for like five weeks a few years ago uh-huh. but I was always staying with people that that I knew. Ah, so like in between seeing those people, you were usually by yourself. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, which is not really the same, but it did allow me to kind of create the itinerary that I wanted. I didn't have like a travel companion. So I was like, well, I want to go here. I want to go there. Yeah. I guess I've done that a little bit. It is a little bit liberating 
when you have total control over your schedule, you know? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And a couple of times I've visited people who were working part of the time. So I had a lot of time to kind of be by myself. But I haven't stayed in a hostel by myself or something like that, which I think is a big part of it. Yeah. But just from like being by myself most days or something. A couple summers ago, I went to visit my friend Anne in Milan. And then mm-hmm. I went to visit some family friends who were staying in Paris who are a bit older. So I was kind of doing the sightseeing and everything on my own. But I kind of learned or kind of rediscovered, I guess, from those couple of weeks that I'm super, super slow. <laughs> like... I like to go through museums and stuff really, really slowly. And I haven't done that in many, many years. Mm-hmm. Just most people don't like to do that so much. Yeah. And so I just kind of go with everyone else's flow. Oh. But when I was by myself, I really like took my time and I spent like hours and hours in like different museums that I know I would have rushed through otherwise. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so we have some pros and cons about traveling alone. One of the pros is you have more freedom to plan your schedule. You can go places that interest you, be spontaneous and meet people, like taking a really long time at museums or not. (laughs) (laughs) Or skipping the museums altogether if that's Mm -hmm. not your thing. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you feel kind of obligated to go, I think. That's true. When it's just you, it's you can do whatever you want, basically. If you want to go sit in a park all day, I guess, like, do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this can be really good if you have, like, pretty specific interests. Like, if you're really into museums or you're really into art or you like to go to fancy restaurants or, I don't know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's not maybe, like, a typical interest of everyone. Yeah. I mean, money is another thing. You can spend money on the things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. For sure. Another pro is it gives you time for solitude and self-reflection, kind of learning more about yourself. Yeah. And sometimes we're pretty uncomfortable, I think, being by ourselves. For sure, yeah. It's easier, I think, to be with somebody else than to, like, face your own <laughs> inner self Mm -hmm. especially if you don't have like a wi-fi connection and it's just you and a room Mm -hmm. alone yeah definitely i think jane talked a little bit about figuring out what she personally needed and learning that she could benefit from solitary time yeah and the last pro we have is that you get to meet lots of people from all over the world actually one way to link up with people is you can go to backpacker.org and find out who's in your area and arrange a meeting with them yeah so if you're interested in like getting a beer with somebody or visiting some different sites but you don't necessarily want to do it by yourself this is a good way to do it and that's backpacker but p-a-c-k-r (laughs) yeah yeah we'll put it on the show notes for sure Mm -hmm. but I would be interested in doing that if I were traveling by myself I think so a lot of people say when they travel by themselves they hardly actually end up traveling by themselves they're with people the whole time who are Mm -hmm. like-minded and I should make a caveat it sounds Talking about it, it feels like it's what young people do, but everybody does it of all ages, mm-hmm. goes traveling, solo or otherwise. I've met so many people of all ages traveling uh, who just want to know about the world. You just instantly develop that really cool bond, and you do like problem solving together. Yeah, it sounds like you can make some really amazing friendships this way. For sure, yeah. And if you're traveling by yourself and meeting people on the road... You're going to meet different types of people than what we'll get into later about group travel. Yeah. Where you might all be from the same region or the same age group or something like that. Oh, yeah. It's a bit more diverse. Some cons, though. When you are traveling alone, you are all by yourself when it comes to figuring things out, dealing with issues, losing things. Yeah. Right. That's what I would be most afraid of. Yeah, in the end, all of the responsibility does fall on you. You also probably will spend more of your time planning your activities or planning your route and the logistics. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you traveled either with a partner or in a group, you'll likely have people to share 
the responsibility of planning. The responsibility of planning and the responsibility of, like, having a skill set to deal with mm-hmm. things. Like, if you're traveling in a group or with a partner, maybe somebody else that you're traveling with will know the language better or have experience in cities more or is better at maps than you are. Mm-hmm, so sure. when you're traveling alone, it's all you and your your limited skill set. <laughs> One more thing about that, like when you get scammed, I feel like it's very easy to get scammed in general. Check out our episode on travel scams to learn more about that. A few episodes ago, I think it was like number 21 or something. Yeah, I think so. But I feel like if you're by yourself and you get frazzled and everything happens so fast, there's nobody there to back you up. Yeah, or no one to just say like, you know, this maybe feels a little bit fishy. It's all your intuition as well. Definitely. That kind of plays into the next one. As far as safety, when you're by yourself, you have to be a little bit more cautious and be very aware of your surroundings, like Jane was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Using common sense. And for introverts, it can be a little harder to get by because you really have to put yourself out there when you're traveling alone. Right. When you're traveling in general, but when you're by yourself, you really depend on other people for information. Mm-hmm. and Right. Or if you choose to stay in a hotel and you don't have the common area of, like, say, a hostel. Yeah. It can yeah. be harder to meet people. And you might end up feeling a bit lonely. Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about traveling in a pair. Yeah. So I think first let's go ahead and talk about some pros and cons. And then we'll talk about more specific types of pairings mm-hmm. and just a few caveats for that. Mm-hmm. So if you're traveling in a pair, one of the best things is you have somebody to share the experience with. And if you're, you know, having a really nice moment and you can share that with somebody, but yeah. I think two is still a pretty manageable number. You won't have to compromise as much as you would in say a larger group. And I think with two people, you can be spontaneous With larger groups, it's just totally impossible to be spontaneous. Yeah, each new person that you add makes it that much harder to be spontaneous. Also, if you're in a pair, you might have more confidence in the ability to do things that you might not if you were alone. Maybe you end up egging each other on into something that you would be afraid of by yourself. For example, Seth and I hiked around the foothills of Himalayas for five days, and I never would have done that if Seth hadn't wanted to. But that's what he really, really wanted to do, and Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I did it. So it kind of pushed me into a new experience. Yeah, and I think another part of that is... Uh, what you were saying exactly somebody else's perspective or somebody else's interests might push you into doing something that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise done but Mm -hmm. is a really amazing experience yeah another thing you share the costs of lodging yeah if you're not let's say like a backpacker or you're not interested in staying in hostels with lots of bunk beds (laughs) Mm -hmm. then either a single room in a hostel or a hotel or something like that, it's going to be much more affordable with another person. Mm-hmm. And that person is guaranteed to be your company, so you're not going to be lonely on the trip, or you shouldn't be lonely when you're with yeah. somebody else. I hope not. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I think it's really good for strengthening the relationship or your friendship. Totally. You create <laughs> lasting memories. You have inside jokes. That's always a big thing. Mm-hmm. You problem solve. It's just all around good if things are going well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, that brings us to the cons of traveling in a pair, which Mm -hmm. it can really make or break a relationship. Yeah. I've traveled with two friends separately. I went with one friend from Barcelona to Greece and one friend from Barcelona to Dublin. So this is when I was studying abroad in Barcelona. And in both cases, after about three hours, we realized we had literally nothing else to talk about and the rest of the trip was incredibly awkward just like oh we have nothing in common at all Uh, so these were like more acquaintances or something yeah Uh. one acquaintance was like i want to go to greece and i was like i'll go to greece and then another acquaintance was like i want to go to dublin and i was like i'll go to dublin (laughs) and both of them ended up the same way and i feel really bad about it because everybody was a good person but we just kind of lost interest in each other real quick. 
<laughs> well, do you think that that's a problem because, like, you didn't know each other well enough? And would it have been different if you were better friends? Or you think that it kind of made it clear that you wouldn't be friends? It definitely made it clear that we wouldn't be friends because I didn't talk to either of them, like, after the trips, pretty much. But do you think you could have been friends if you had, like, developed your friendship there? Like, it? at home I don't know I'm just curious it's very hypothetical but like yeah if it's awkward because you were acquaintances and that prevented you from being friends or if you just figured out really quickly that you had nothing in common and would never have been friends I think yeah yeah I don't know that's a really good question I mean I think they were both like friendly acquaintances that I seemed to get along with originally I mean, it really could be that you could have developed a good friendship and those chips would have been very different if you had developed the friendship at home first. Maybe. Or it could be that it just revealed really big differences that would have prevented you anyway from becoming good friends. Yeah. And just kind of made them clearer quicker. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, anyway. To travel with two people can be quite intense because you have each other and maybe that's it if you're not trying to meet outside people. Yeah. So it's a lot of time to spend with just one other person. Exactly. Especially somebody you don't know very well. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So we'll talk about how you can approach picking a travel partner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really important that you think about that before. And I think I've been on trips with people that I didn't know as well that turned out great. You know, like study abroad like you were studying abroad in Barcelona mm-hmm. and like when I was studying abroad like you just don't have a chance to know people very well yeah like, before you start making travel plans of course like you're yeah. there for a semester or you're there for a year and maybe within three weeks you're making travel plans so it's not like you have time to develop those relationships before yeah sometimes. that's true well another disadvantage of traveling in a pair though is the fact that you might be perceived as less approachable. Jane talked about that too. Mm-hmm. You're less likely to seem like you're interested in meeting new people. This, I think, could be especially true for couples, as she mentioned, mm-hmm. or romantic partnerships. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you're two guys or two girls in a platonic relationship, it might be easier to just go out and meet friends. Yeah, that's people. true. Mm-hmm. But you both also have to be in that mindset of wanting to meet people, I think. Mm-hmm. Or you might just not be that interested in meeting people if you already have your friend there and you're like, well, I have my built-in companionship. <laughs> Why do I need to talk to anybody else? You know yeah. what I mean? But, you know, like, so you're going to miss out on meeting all these new people. In exchange, you're hopefully strengthening your relationship with that partner. So Definitely. I mean, maybe at different points in your life, you want different things, you know? Yeah, I agree. So if you're traveling with a friend, not a romantic partner, one thing to take into consideration is how similar you are. Mm-hmm. What are your interests? What kind of things are you looking for in travel? If one of you is like single and ready to mingle and like have some romantic fun on the trip and the other one is not in that mode right that can be a major source of tension yeah like imagine you want to go out and party and like meet guys or meet girls and your friend wants to just like hang out with you then that's not going to be the best for either of you no and again we'll talk about some of these later But things like budget or age can be a problem as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you're traveling with a romantic partner, you can really find out if this person is right for you. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I've heard people say like, oh, I survived a vacation with my boyfriend, so I know that we're meant to be together. I'm like, survived? (laughs) Survived or thrived? Yeah, because honestly, when Seth and I are on vacation, that's like when we're happiest as a couple. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. (laughs) Even if it's not like a glamorous thing, it's just like, no, it's just you and me trying to figure out stuff. And there's not the responsibilities of day-to-day life. And you can really see how another person functions under stress, which can be really important further down the line. That's totally true. Things like weddings or funerals are said to bring out the worst than people so uh, yeah. you can get a little preview of that maybe yeah. maybe not to that extent but you know what I mean I think also it 
shows you each other's strengths and weaknesses. So when Seth and I travel together, he is in charge of the documents. Yeah. Just, he takes care of, like, I need to go through customs, so he hands me my passport. And then we leave <laughs> customs, and he's like, all right, give it back. <laughs> That's like me and my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rachel's mom did an interview with us in episode eight about, I think it was episode eight, I think so, yeah. Yeah, travel mishaps, and she talks about how Rachel is the responsible one in their traveling relationship (laughs) ever since you were seven years old. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Cool, so I think that pretty much wraps up um, traveling with one other person. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about traveling in a group. And I think we should break this down into two categories. So... A small group of friends when you all know each other beforehand versus an organized group trip. Yeah. So when you're traveling with a small group of friends, again, you should think carefully about who's going to match your travel style and talk about important things before. And make sure that you're not growing the group too big, just inviting mm-hmm. everyone that you know. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you said your max, your personal maximum is four but ten, but three can be perfect. Yeah, because sometimes three, if like two are really close and one is not as close, there can be some third wheeling. Yeah. But I've traveled in groups of three that have been just awesome because we were all good friends. and. Oh, that's nice. It was a really good number. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, the bigger a group gets, the more activities need to be strictly planned out. Yeah, it gets unwieldy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you get to a bar and you're a 10 people, and then it's like, okay, we're going to go to the next bar, like we said we were going to do, and not everybody's finished, everybody's kind of relaxed, like half the people are ready and half the people aren't ready, and that's just like a Saturday night. If you're in the middle of a place where nobody speaks the language and you need to get from point A to point B, like the idea of that alone just totally stresses me out. Yeah, it's also like the idea that the more people are involved in something, the more that responsibility is diffused among mm, the group. Yeah, diffusion So nobody yeah. really, yeah, nobody really takes initiative. The biggest group I've traveled with was, I think, to Tokyo. And so I went with five other people. And that was just too unwieldy. And... <laughs> Like, some of us wanted to shop. Some of them had no interest in that, but also had no interest in planning something else, so they just kind of tagged right, along. Right, And we felt awkward, like, okay, we got to hurry up. And <laughs> I mean, it was still fun, but yeah. it was just hard to plan anything because everybody, like, might put in one idea and then nobody really, like, said anything, like, yay or nay. Yeah. And I was the only vegetarian as well, so that was kind of like, ugh, like, I'm saying, like, what five other people have to do, you know? Uh, yeah, right. Like, somebody listen to me and take my needs into account, please. Right, like, uh, in a group of three, then I can, it's not such a big deal. Yeah. Or in a pair. Like, I can be more assertive, but when I'm like, oh, I'm making the whole group do something different, it feels, <laughs> like, uncomfortable. You're so considerate, Rachel. It just gets to be awkward when I'm like, hey, everyone, all five of you, remember, again, we we can't just go do something easy. We have to walk to, like, place after place after place after place and hopefully find something. You can have a salad, Rachel. (laughs) It was hard in Japan. And Uh, none of us knew anything. And it was all fish. And I was like, I I don't know what to do. Yeah, just a lot of noodles, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I traveled somewhere with, I think it was a total of maybe six people. Mm -hmm. But it was because two of us were doing a half marathon. Okay. So the trip revolved around the half marathon. And then we just kind of did a few touristy things. There weren't a lot of options. So that helped to, (laughs) like, around the half marathon. So, like, maybe going somewhere for a specific event makes more sense in bigger groups too. Yeah. I will say one more thing about the diffusion of responsibility. Yeah. Is I found on that trip, like one, maybe two people would be trying to figure out like directions or look yeah. for a place to eat. And everyone well, else is just, just standing around there. I know. waiting for it to happen. 
was like, that's so annoying. But also at the same time, six people can't be, you know, doing it at the same time. Right. So somebody would, has to it, kind of take charge. But it feels better when everybody is at least pretending to be interested in it. Like, yeah. Actually, instead that, of like, okay, where are we going? It's like, I don't know. Figure yeah. it out. That's, I just remembered the woman I went to Dublin with from Barcelona. I remember mm-hmm. she was like, I don't do maps. And it was like, okay, well, you gotta do maps now because Google Maps aren't around yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, and right. We're in the middle of Dublin. Like, there are street names and there are things that we need to do. And yeah, I can do maps, but it's a lot more useful if, like, both of us are standing there looking at a map. Right, yeah. So I think that's a pretty good summary of when you're traveling with friends. Yeah, small groups. So let's talk about organized group trips. Yes. Have you done any of these? I have, but I haven't done them in Asia. I've done them in Europe a few times with my study abroad group. Okay. Before I studied in Barcelona, the company that organized my study abroad for me, Mm -hmm. we all met in Madrid, so we did like an organized group trip of Madrid and Toledo, and then Barcelona a little bit. Okay. We did a few different trips, and that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But everything was taken care of for us, so there was no, like, trying to move people around. I think that's the biggest pro of being on an organized group trip. Yeah. You don't have the headache or the hassle of trying to figure out lodging or transportation or just what to even do in a city. Yeah. It's all just kind of taken care of for you. And some people really love that, just showing up and everything's done. That's pretty nice in some ways. Yeah, it can be frustrating for people who really care about their freedom when they're traveling, but I think that's something that you sacrifice in order to avoid the headache of figuring things out. And you can see a lot of really cool stuff and learn a lot of really great stuff that you wouldn't have seen if you'd organized it by yourself, I think. Definitely. Yeah. On some group trips that I've been on, there have been like really cool experiences or really interesting tour guides that I never would have done on my own or (laughs) been able to do even. I went on a people-to-people trip in the British Isles. (laughs) And in Ireland, we went to a farm and did some baking. Oh, nice. I mean, we made, like, soda bread, and we did some, like, Irish dancing. That's so cool. Walked around the bogs. Like, I never would have been able to do that as a single person. No. Or find any way to organize that. That's something that you can only do if somebody has created that. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, in Wales, we went rappelling off of a castle. Like, (laughs) that's not something... (laughs) That you just plan, like, or think to do. (laughs) So you can get some really cool experiences that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. It's a really good way to meet new people who have similar interests to you. So on that trip, the one in the British Isles, I had, I didn't know anybody before, but everybody was so tight by the end of the trip. Oh, that's so fun. Which was like three weeks. Or even like my choir trips, there are people that I was in choir with, you know, twice a week. Yeah. But maybe not people that I talk too much and you got to know them like in a different way yeah we had orchestra trips like that too yeah that's true another advantage is safety in numbers you're less likely to be targeted in a travel scam if there are more of you right (laughs) it's harder to take advantage of a big group of people yeah or to rob everyone in a 20 person group right and everybody's watching your back so yeah you also can know your expenses before you travel Mm -hmm. and you can kind of plan it out that way and pay like monthly or pay every other week or something like that Mm -hmm. instead of like saving up and hoping that you have enough money when you travel yeah you can just give it all in one lump sum then like Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll be like okay bring enough money for dinner every day you know that's a reasonable expense that's not like Oh, surprise, the uh, plane trip that you wanted to take just, like, tripled in price. Yeah, when you're traveling and planning everything yourself, you have to figure out and do a lot more research and budgeting and kind of figuring it out as you go. Like, you might be paying for lodging as you go, and you need to have budgeted for that before. Mm -hmm. But if you're just paying it up front, you can just kind of sit back and relax and, like, I already paid for this trip. Everything's done. Yeah. And finally, the last pro we have is it can be a lot easier if you don't speak the local language to be with a group of people because this thing has already been organized for you. 
Definitely. And there's usually a guide who's a local guide, concierge, I guess they sometimes call it, who travels with you for the entire time and they do any kind of translation or they explain things to you about culture and it's a lot easier to kind of figure out the culture and the language with somebody just telling you it's like this instead of like you're doing internet research or you're looking around and like, what's going on? Like. <laughs> Yeah. However, so there are a lot of pros, I would say, but there are a lot of downsides as well. Mm -hmm. So there is lots of structured time and it doesn't really allow for spontaneity or personalization. Right. You might have in a city like three free hours and that's not that much time to do a lot of things. Yeah. Like maybe you wanted to go to a museum that's not on the itinerary or you wanted to go to some restaurant that's going to be the entire time and you're not going to see anything else yeah another disadvantage is that you feel like you're part of a herd yeah it's also much more expensive yeah than you would be able to do it on your own so that's while totally the benefit true. is that it's all paid for up front you're going to pay more for it you're also paying for the planning that somebody else has done and you're paying for the concierge you're paying for the different guides so it usually is quite like significantly more expensive. Yeah, I mean, these organized trips are often for-profit trips. So mm -hmm. another thing is you'll probably meet a person or some people that you might not get along with. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be somebody who gets on your nerves. Yeah, and you're going to either spend time like with that person feeling annoyed or yes. just like running away from them. Yes, definitely. And praying that they don't end up in your small group. Oh my God, yeah. Actually, I remembered I was on a trip with my dad in college around the south of Spain with his French teacher. Uh -huh. His French teacher organized it. And the organization was amazing. We did so many really, really great things. But there were like two people. They were the kind of people who breathed in the middle of their sentences so that they never finished a sentence. So there would be just like a flow of air into the next sentence. So there was never <sighs> a pause. And it was just like thought vomits the entire trip. Have you found somebody you really didn't enjoy on a trip? Yes. A friend of mine at home, we went on two choir trips together. It just drove me insane when we were traveling. Ah, uh, no. Kind of the thing like, what's the plan? It's like, I don't know. We know exactly the same amount of information <laughs> as you do. Uh, so why don't you pull out your phone or pull out a book or yeah, help and just do that every time. And it was very frustrating. Yeah, yeah, that's really frustrating. So another thing about group trips is they can feel very rushed. Mm -hmm. You get into a city one day, you tour like for 10 hours, and you go to bed, and then you wake up at 6 and you leave for another city. Right. Really getting to like savor the city or just leisure time. or Savor is a really good word, actually. Soak it in, you know? Right. It's like, let's do all of these activities and move on to the next place so we can do some more activities. Right. You know, I feel like in every pros and cons list, I get so emotionally invested <laughs> that, like, I keep changing my mind about all of, the, all of these things. Like, group trips are amazing. Like, that's how I felt five minutes yeah. ago. <laughs> and now you're like, oh, my God, they're the worst. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it really um, is, it's just so dependent on where you are and what your needs are. Right. And it can change from person to person, travel yeah. style. It can also just change based on the moment and time in your life. And if you take a group trip, they're usually amazing, but they do have these downsides that come along with them. So yeah. finally, I find that if I'm not the one to plan the trip and do the research and the logistics and everything, it's really hard to kind of remember the places that I've been because I just read it on a piece of paper and then I go there for like a day or two and people be like where did you go and so and so and I'm like oh let me pull out those files way in the back yeah but if if I'm the one to do the research and the planning then it really stays with me a lot longer yeah that's totally true also like writing things down I'm so glad I 
kept a travel blog of our travels around Southeast Asia because I'll go back and read them sometimes like, oh, yeah, that did happen. Oh, yeah, I did learn that, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. cool. And you chose it for a reason. You thought it yeah. looked interesting for some reason. Or you chose it and it turned out to be a total dud. And you yeah. can find like that's also information. <laughs> right. That's true. We planned the trip to Germany like... We did so much research and, cool. you know, went through, read about so many different cities. And then we picked the ones that seemed most interesting and we had to keep narrowing it down. So then by the time that we finished where we were going, it was like, okay, these are, seem amazing. Like, yeah. It should be really great. great. It's kind of like how I do online shopping. <laughs> I like put a bunch of stuff in my cart and then afterward I go through them and I'm like, I can live without that one, but this one's the best. Right. Yeah. So... Finally, we have some tips on how to pick somebody to travel with. So. Yeah, so I pulled from two different posts about picking travel partners, which we will link up. So yeah, let's take a look and compare some of these different things and see if we have anything else to add. Yeah, number one, are you expecting five-star accommodation or are you happy roughing it? And what does roughing it actually mean to you? Yeah. Yeah, like that's something that you have to be totally clear about in the communication leading up to a trip. Mm -hmm. I have friends. There are two guys. They're really good friends and they love traveling together. If you're listening to this, Will and Zach, you guys are awesome. But they can like spend the night on a park bench. Not a problem. Like, <laughs> like they can walk around do to do to do. Oh, here's a bench. Here's like a gazebo. We'll just sleep in here. And then they wake up in the morning and they continue on with their life. It's okay, like, wow. Yeah, that's not me at all. I would never be able to do that. No, I like a little bit more ability to relax. Yeah, a little bit. Right. Even if I'm staying in a hostel or I'm staying in a really cheap like Airbnb or hotel or something, I, I like to know that my stuff cannot be robbed. and. Right. You have some kind of shelter away from the general public. Yeah. So something to ask your potential travel partner. Yeah. How comfortable are you with park benches? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or is roughing it like staying in a three-star hotel? Right. On the other end of the spectrum, how nice do you need your hotel room to be? Yeah, definitely. If we're sharing a budget, then it's a decision we have to make together. Yeah. Another thing, how do you deal with things when they go wrong? Is your style to freak out or do you kind of laugh things off or somewhere in the middle? Yeah. I guess it's kind of fun to have somebody who can compliment you there. Like, it's not the best idea to have the exact same coping strategy. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you both get really stressed out and really worked up, then you might work yourselves up and have a terrible time. Yeah. Or if you're both really, really laid back, then maybe things will go wrong and they'll just keep going wrong because you don't do anything about it. (laughs) Yeah. Although if you're both like really practical and just like into looking for solutions, I guess that would work well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So another thing you might want to ask your potential traveling buddy, are you messy or super tidy? Also kind of touched on this a little bit already. Find out uh, what that person's budget is and if it's similar to yours. Mm-hmm. I think that would be like my number one question, going somewhere with somebody. Yeah, it's not going to be fun for either one of you if one person's been saving up all year for like a big spending trip and the other one of you is like broke and wants to eat budget meals and the other person really wants to indulge themselves like neither one of you is going to have a great time right that's one area where being in a couple comes in handy for sure Mm -hmm. i guess you already know that much about each other often find out if you want to visit the same places Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're a museum goer and a fine dining person and the other person is a trekker who wants to get out into the wilderness and go kayaking and stuff like those are two very different things yeah definitely do you prefer slow or fast travel some people like to do kind of whirlwind trips and others like to stay for a week or two in one location Mm -hmm. so that's good to know before as well yeah what kind of food do you like oh i wouldn't classify you as a picky eater because you're a vegetarian i think you're still adventurous (laughs) yeah like picky eaters You got to know if somebody's a picky eater, and if you're not a picky eater, that's going to drive you crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some people really are not interested in 
trying local food and yeah. they'd rather just go to things that they're familiar with. Right. Which I've done both, honestly. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll be in a place and I just go to like a random restaurant of a different ethnicity than the oh yeah place that I'm in. So like traveling somewhere and going to an Indian restaurant or in Hong Kong we ate at this Egyptian restaurant a couple times. Yeah, I want to know where so that is. <laughs> So if people only want to try the local cuisine, they're going to be irritated if the other person is wanting to just eat random stuff. Definitely. I've had McDonald's on vacation before, and I'm not proud of it, but I don't seek it out. I don't, like, look for the closest Taco Bell when I'm... (laughs) (laughs) So see what that person's food habits are. I find this is true also when I've had different people visit me in Spain. I try to ask them before, I'm like, do you want to eat, like, lots of Spanish food, or do you want me to just take you to my favorite restaurants? Yeah. (laughs) And because they're not always Spanish. And it depends on where you're going. If you're going to a place that's really notorious for good food, then maybe you'll just want the local food. But, for example, in Shenzhen, Seth's aunt visited us a little while ago, and... It was like, the Chinese food in southern China is not that great, actually. Like, if we were in Beijing, I think there would be more options or Shanghai. But actually, there's really good international food here. So for the most part, we took her to international places. But if we were visiting her in Thailand, we would eat a lot more Thai food because Thai food is wonderful. Okay, another thing to look for, find out how physically active are you? And does that level semi-match your travel buddy? I mean... In my personal travel style, I walk way too much, usually by accident, just getting from point A to point B, like looking at the map, like, I can totally navigate that. And then I can't, but but I know that I can handle it. But can a travel buddy handle that? Right. Some people are 20,000 steps a day. Some people are more like seven. So just make sure you're somewhere in the middle of if there's a discrepancy yeah. or... That's nice that we have that measure now. We can find out what yeah. your average is, so... Yeah, which doesn't necessarily mean that that's their limit, but maybe their daily life is that. Yeah. You don't want to be miserable and you don't want somebody else to be miserable because you feel like you're limited during your vacation. Yeah, or they feel exhausted or kind of beat up by the end of the day because you're like, let's walk here and there and there and there. <laughs> right. And then they can't enjoy the rest of the Right, the that's not trip, sustainable, maybe. basically. Um, another thing, you might not ask somebody this outright, but think about if they're a good conversationalist. Mm-hmm. Or you might ask this, are they okay with silence? Because some people are and some people feel awkward. Yeah. And just try to fill all the silence. Yeah, I highly appreciate like a balanced conversation where both people are contributing and learning things from each other. Mm-hmm. That's where I clash with some people because because I don't want to sit in silence. I want to like find out what they're thinking and... Like, what's your opinion on this? And some people just like to sit quietly. <laughs> yeah, I think it depends for me. The times where I felt like we were very well matched, there was a good combination of that. Mm-hmm. We had really interesting conversations about a wide range of topics, but then sometimes we sat in silence, like on the train or yeah, we were each reading our book or on the beach or something right. like that. It's not that every moment we must be talking because that gets exhausting to me <laughs> definitely yeah no that's that's totally true it does get exhausting talking that talking the whole time 24 but... 7 for a week that's like <laughs> oh my god yeah and especially if yeah. you're with one other person that's a lot of you talking and a lot of them talking another thing to think about is whether you would consider yourself to be independent or clingy i'm thinking about like Somebody like your mom who wants to go from like 5 a.m. to 1 a.m. basically every day. Like it's a good thing she's independent because (laughs) nobody else can do that. Yeah, that's so true. I remember her telling me like when she goes on a trip with people, she needs like a morning buddy and an evening buddy because nobody can keep up with her during the entire time. It's kind of insane. (laughs) I've been on trips with her where it's like we're out all day since the morning and we get back and she's like, okay, let's change so we can go dancing. And I'm like, I'm tired. I don't want to go dancing. (laughs) And then she's pretty bummed out because it's just like the two of us. Yeah, that kind of happened in Spain a few times. I was super tired, and she was like, let's go! And I'm like, 
It's like 11, 12. Okay. Wow, yeah. yeah. That would be hard for me to do, too. <laughs> She's a machine, dude. Yeah. Another one, how spontaneous are you? Mm-hmm. Some people are not into planning, and some people like to have every moment planned. So, How do you like to travel? Do you like to go somewhere and then just kind of figure out what you're doing next from there? It kind of depends. On some trips... I've thought of, like, different ideas that I would like to do when I went to Iceland. At some point, we were looking into things to do, and we were like, oh, horseback riding, that'd be cool, or whale watching, that'd be cool. Like, let's go to these different sites. But I'm thinking, like, in Germany, we did our research, like, on the train, usually, before we got to someplace, and, like, Mm -hmm. things that sounded interesting there, and then we would kind of, like, maybe plot a map route but if we got off it it was like okay sure what about you usually what i'll do is i'll i'll make the major decisions about flights and hotels in advance Mm -hmm. i mean i went on that three month trip around southeast asia with seth in that case the first month and a half i planned out all the hotels Mm -hmm. i usually have an idea of what i want to do and i try to make sure that i have a map in advance Mm -hmm. but then when I get there I figure out how it's going to happen from there which can backfire sometimes like we went to Beijing and we got there and it was like oh we can go see the Forbidden City we're only here for 24 hours and you need to buy a ticket three days in advance Mm -hmm. yes that has happened to me as well yeah where the lack of planning like prevented me from doing stuff yeah the second time I went to Barcelona I went with my dad and my stepmom and we wanted to go see Sagrada Familia, but mm-hmm. you can't really just buy tickets that quickly. Sometimes they sell out, like, a couple weeks in advance, so... I guess it depends on what time of year you're going, probably. Yeah, so, like, we weren't able to go, which was a bummer, but... Yeah. So we can go both ways, but it is nice to be able to have the freedom to, like, you know, I don't really feel like doing anything planned today, let's just walk around and see... Exactly. This neighborhood yeah. or whatever. The best of both worlds would be to say, okay, we're going, I'm going to Beijing on this day, and I know that I want to see the Forbidden City. And then I could have bought a ticket further in advance, but. Yeah. And then, like, just planned it, activities around that. But that's okay. We still had a good time. So I never seriously regret not planning something in advance. Yeah. And by the way, those two sets of lists, those were from the Globetrotter GP and Tripzilla. Which, again, we'll put the links there. Awesome. Well, if anybody else has anything to add to our list, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff. (laughs) If we left anything out, we'd love to hear from you. Just uh, send us an email to languagenerds2earth at Mm gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on our show notes. Yeah, and tell us, what's your favorite way to travel? Yeah. Do you have an upcoming trip? Well, I think it's time for... Lost in translation. translation. Yeah. Awesome. This week we have another Lost in Translation moment from Leonard. Thank you for sending us multiple ones, Leonard. That was really cool. Yeah, let's give it a listen. This is Leonard. I have a Lost in Translation moment. This is a big one. My grandmother came from Germany right after World War II, so we'll always be over the past few years, my dad or... My uncle going to Germany to visit relatives that were kin to my, my grandmother. And as we came back, we always had spare change. And in those days, it was the original currency. It wasn't a euro. It'd be a mark. It'd be a five-mark coin. It'd be all sorts of coins. And over time, we gathered this big bucket of coins that we couldn't use in America. But one day, we'll take it to Germany and we'll spend it. So here comes Gullible Leonard. And my dad says, here, would you just take this money from me? It's just sitting here collecting dust. And so I take all these marks and all these coins, five, ten marks, they're beautiful coins, and certainly they're worth something. So I take them over to Germany about three years ago, and I want to buy something, and I just put it on the counter. I don't even ask for permission. I know they're in the euro, but certainly the German currencies worth something, even half price. I'll even, I'll even give you double for it. Well, as I spread it out, I was around a bunch of 20-year-olds, and they looked at me. They said, what currency is this? I said, this is German currency. Look, it says Deutschland on it. They looked at it. We have never seen anything like this before. And I said, it can't be. This is in my lifetime. And it turned out I gathered this huge crowd. Everybody wanted to look at this interesting currency from way back when, I guess when Noah sailed the ocean. 
And did you know they wouldn't take a penny of it? I had to drag all that back across the sea, give it back to my dad and say it's worthless. <laughs> so one day we might just melt it down. But my lost in translation moment is, I don't care what country stamped on that currency or on that coin. Uh, once they get rid of it, it's worthless. And it's about the same value as a Confederate dollar here in America. That was really great. Thank you, Leonard. Yes, thank you for sharing. Uh, it must have been really heavy. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I think that's where he was going, yeah. Like, he had this huge thing of coins, and he had to bring it all the way back home. Yeah, it's probably worth more, like, as the metal than as a yeah. relic or something. Possibly, yeah. I mean... Maybe in, like, a hundred years it'll have more worth, but maybe yeah. not. <laughs> like, for collectors or something. It's always a gamble. Right. If enough of it yeah. gets, I guess, melted down or something, then it would become more valuable in theory because yeah. it's there's less to go around. But <laughs> I like funny. how he was like, I'll even give you half for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll even take <laughs> And all those kids no. had no idea what it was. That's funny. This is in my lifetime. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, that was so great. Thank you, Leonard. And if you would like to send us your Lost in Translation, please do so. Yes, please. You can send us a voice note. We have a recording button on our website. Or you can do it on your phone and send it to our email account at languagenerdsdoearth at gmail.com. Yeah, that'd be great. Get us those stories. We'd love to hear Mm -hmm. your biggest language fail. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this week's episode. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Yeah. And you can also subscribe to our blog. That's at our website, languagenerdsdoearth.com. And please leave us a review. It just takes a few moments, Mm -hmm. but we would really, really appreciate it. It helps with our visibility and helps more people who are interested in the topic find us. And thank you so much to the people who have already left us a review. Yes. On iTunes. And tell your friends, tell your family. Our next episode is going to be the evolution of English part two. Part two. Yeah. Part dos. We are looking forward to this one. Yeah. If you haven't listened to the evolution of English part one, I think it was episode 16. It is way cooler than it sounds so mm-hmm. go back and give that a listen and we're gonna do a continuation of that next time yeah uh yeah i think that's pretty much it thank you so much for listening yes, and have you. a great week everybody all right see you next week bye bye, bye.